and welcome to another episode of When Records Ruled, the podcast where we share our love of rock music and pop culture from the 70s and 80s and take a few B-side tracks down memory lane along the way. So get out those liner notes and use that calculator wristwatch to figure out how much time you've wasted listening to our podcast. <laughs> because it's time to hit the play button. I'm your host, David Norris, and joining me on this flashback musical road trip are my good friends Brian Strom and Lance Schwartz. How are you guys doing? I'm trying to remember what a calculator wristwatch was. Really? It was a wristwatch with a calculator on it. It's well, that makes sense. It's Brian. in the name, man. I, I, they were pretty big. I mean, now by today's standards of uh, Apple Watch Apple size. Watch is an Apple Watch size. Is, is my Apple Watch a calculator wristwatch too? It probably could be. Not the OG. Yeah, true that. Yeah. But this had, I mean, the actual buttons you're pushing on the outside. I mean, yeah. it had the calculator. I don't know how I ever did that there. with a finger. You didn't use it a pencil or something. I could the eraser. Do a little bit with a finger, but yeah. yeah. You needed a pencil. Yep. Wow. And you know, about think, 40 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> they were expensive. <laughs> or whatever. You, did you have one? No, I never did. I did for a while. They were banned in your math class, though. Exactly. I was yep. just going to yeah. say that. Yep. Teachers did not like those. Yep. But I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, Dave. Hey. <laughs> Appreciate that. All right. For today's episode, we will be discussing the album Don't Say No by Billy Squire. We'll hear what was happening around the time of the album's release, wrap it up with a personal rating of the album, and then we'll end our show with a Remember One segment. So... To get us started, Lance is going to give us some details about the album. I sure am. And it's it's in a direct opposition to just say no, right? Oh, yeah. just say yes. Yes. Just Please. say yes. Please, just say yes. Well, this this is going to be an interesting one because I feel like this is a little bit obscure for uh, our audience possibly. But when you hear about this album, how many units it sold, you'll say, why is it obscure? So don't say no is the second studio album from Billy Squire was released on April 13th, 81, 1981. That is, uh, true. Yeah. Just didn't want to confuse our older listeners. (laughs) How old are our older listeners? You just never know. I remember when Billy Squire released, don't say no. I think I was in my eighties then. (laughs) Right. We played it on the phonograph. (laughs) Oh, way back in 1981. Um, so Don't Say No was Squire's uh, biggest career album. Included a number of hits. Um, Lonely as a Night, In the Dark, My Kind of Lover, and The Stroke. It was a top five album on the Billboard album chart and remained on the chart for, get this, two years. Mm-hmm. Another two years. blockbuster. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. So people should have heard about this. They should have. Well, if they were around during that time, I suppose. And this album shot out of the... Dark? Shot out of the Ooh. dark. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Took, took the words Shoo. right out of my mouth, or <laughs> helped me fill in the blank <laughs> when I had a blank. Um, I'm one of those older listeners and podcasters. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm a little older you than you are. guys, right? Yeah. Just a little. So the album was certified gold. Now, remember, it was released on April... 13th, 81, it was certified gold with 500,000 sales, 500,000 sales in July, 1981. Okay. That's pretty quick. Wow. That's flying off the shelves. It really was. Um, I kind of wonder how they kept up with demand. Yeah. With that. I mean. Yeah, that was probably During that time. Couldn't couldn't print enough or press enough. Probably not. Yeah. Well, it was vinyl. It was totally vinyl too. Well, cassettes too. Yeah. 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 But then two months later, so September- it was platinum. 
it says here multi-platinum awards were not certified prior to 84, but uh, don't say no belatedly received a triple platinum award in 92. So that means 3 million copies of mm-hmm. this album. So, yep, it's a big one. Kind of an interesting uh, tidbit. Tidbit. Interesting tidbit. Who says tidbit? I Old guess people. I, I, Old. Say, I say tidbit, too. It's Fact. fine. It's fine. Okay. Factoid. Factoid. You say factoid, tidbit. <laughs> Interesting Nugget. Fact. I feel like I'm in the dark in this whole conversation. <laughs> oh, good one, Brian. <laughs> I like it. Um, but uh, Lonely as a Night, which might arguably be the best song on the album, but we can get into that later, um, is a, according to this, a playable track on the PlayStation 2 video game, Guitar mm-hmm. Hero Encore, Rock of the 80s. Sweet. And the master recording is playable on Guitar Hero 5 and Rock Band 4. So kudos to Billy. That would for, be a fun one. Yeah. So our kids probably have heard this tune somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, kudos to the you know game creators, including it. Yeah, right. true. Right? Yeah, exactly. They yep. knew what a real rock was. That's right. Yep. So that's a little background on the album. I have, I have a little bit about, you know, that. well, I guess I did mention the, the singles. Um, well, okay, the first single, The Stroke. For the first single was called The Stroke. You sound like you had a stroke when you were just saying that. <laughs> I, guys, I went to bed at 2 a.m. last night. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we'll uh, get to why. Sure. We should get to why before we get into the album talk quick. But the first single on the album was The Stroke, and it uh, reached number 17 on the Billboard Hot 100. And um, there's something called Mainstream Rock Chart. It reached number three on the Mainstream Rock Chart. But apparently the Brits didn't think much of it. Uh, it only rose to 52 on the British pop charts. Oh, wow. They're kind of snooty. Yeah. <laughs> They're listening to the podcast, Brian. Oh, Don't offend sorry. Them. Well, Duran Duran was probably pretty big early 80s. Yeah. What else was yeah. Culture Club, maybe? I don't know. Sure. But that's what I know about the the number, or well, the that's what I know about the first single. The rest uh, didn't chart quite that high, but uh, the stroke was a big one. Yep. And radio staples to this day, all of those four. Yeah. They are. Yep. So why were you up till 2 a.m.? Didn't get to bed till 2 a.m.? Oh, I went to a really excellent show last night. Peter Gabriel. Nice. On the I.O. tour, the album where he's releasing a new single every full moon mm-hmm. instead of... Pretty clever. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, it's a good marketing guy. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a very good show. Um, I would say, as far as shows I've been to, one of the top sounding and visually pleasing shows I've ever witnessed He's a master of attention to detail. Pretty good storyteller, too, in concert. And had some impeccable musicians. He had a cello on stage with him. Mm. Um, French horn. I can't even tell you all the different instruments that were being played, but a lot of multi-talented musicians. And he gave them props throughout. It was it was more of an experience than a concert. You know, sometimes you go to concerts and you're waiting for the big song or, you know, why aren't they playing? the? But this was just uh, kind of a... It's weird to say, but a process. It was, he, he had a story to tell throughout and uh, tied songs to the story and was super enjoyable from front to back. So nice. if anybody's cool, still has a chance to see him yet, I think he only has a few shows left on this tour. But You said he was 71? I want to say Two. 72, Two? maybe. Yeah. Okay. But voice is still great. I mean, still he's, there. He's hitting notes that he used to hit, you know, singing the same key, hmm. which a lot of artists can't yeah, do that. Anymore. Right. All right. Thanks, Lance. 
To give us an even better frame of reference uh, for our album review here, Brian is here to enlighten us with some information and fun facts on what was happening around the time the album was released. Which Brian. was April 13th, 1981. Some of the big bands on the chart at the time were John Lennon, Steve Winwood, Ario Speedwagon, Phil Collins, and The Who. That's a really interesting group yeah. for that time because there's some really <laughs> veteran groups right. that were popular. Yep. What was John Lennon singing at the time, I wonder? Um, probably uh, Wheels, yeah. um, Starting Over, those. He did. Just like that, Starting that Over. That was a big album. Yeah. yeah. Yep, good point. And then The Who probably would have been uh, You Better, You Better, You Bet. Mm-hmm. Ariel was probably cranking out High Infidelity. Yep, at the time. exactly. Yeah, yep. they, they were about as big as it was during the early right. 80s. All right, some of the top songs, the top three. Number three was The Best of Times. Sticks. Sticks. Rapture. Blondie. Yeah. I, that's That song always surprised me that it got that high. Maybe it's kind of a cool song, but it's mm -hmm. for for uh, top 40. Wow. Anyway, that was number two. And number one was Kiss on My List by Hall & Oates. Yep. I was just starting to sing it in my head. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. TV shows. The Fall Guy. Lee Give Majors. me a break. Yeah. I didn't watch that I one. I sure do need it. <laughs> I've watched that one too. Fantasy Island. Yes. The Plane. The Plane. Three's Company and Real People. Real People. Real People. I remember it, but does anybody remember what it was about? Real People. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was like stories, little stories good, good about feeling stories were, and yeah, yeah. We need more of those. Hey, we're we're real people. Yeah, maybe we could bring it. Wow, probably make more money with that than we are with this. <laughs> Announcing our new TV show. Yes, real <laughs> podcasters. Get the cameras out, guys. <laughs> we'll just do a behind the scenes on our creation. <laughs> yeah, real podcasters. All right, top movies around this time period were The Incredible Shrinking Woman. I uh, never saw that. I didn't either. Friday the 13th, part two. Never Raiders of the Lost Ark. Dynamite movie. Mm -hmm. That was a good one. Take this job and shove it. Ain't working here no more. That sounds like a winner of a movie. <laughs> and one of my favorite Disney movies, Fox and the Hound. Really? Mm -hmm. I like that I, one. I haven't watched that. I maybe only saw that once. Yeah. I think we have the VHS. Yep, we do too. We collected a bunch of those when our kids were little. You've got the VHS yet? Yeah, wow, we have impressive. a ton of Disney VHS. Yep. Do you have a player too? Yep. And it's not gummed up? I mean, would, well, you, would you put a would you tape trust in it? there? Yeah. yeah, I would. I would. <laughs> because if the tape got eaten up, yeah. oh well. Oh well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no big loss. Remember cruising down the road and you'd find... Tapes oh, yeah. Were eaten by the cassette player in the car. Yep. All right. Uh, some of the top toys around the period were Strawberry Shortcake, the Micro Cassette Recorder, Youth Sleeping Bags with different characters on them. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, Radio Controlled Cars. Those are kind of starting to get big around that time. We had, the cheapo uh, ones. Yeah. I saved up um, some money to buy a remote control tank out of the Sears catalog when I was like 10. I remember distinctively for, you know, saving mm -hmm. it up, like circling that and going, oh, yeah. I am going to save up and get this and ordering it 
And when it came, it was fantastic. Yep. Probably took way more batteries than we had. Oh, my word. It just took so many back then. But it was like purely wireless because so many of those things till still had like a little wire to whatever the right, thing yeah. was. So it wasn't really like on a remote. leash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we also had RC cars. And I can't remember the, the manufacturer name, but you would basically get a box and it had like all the parts you had to build it yourself. Yeah. And it had, and it took like a whole day or two yeah. to build these things. But we had um, a Hornet. My brother and I each had a Hornet. My cousin Eric had the frog. Yes. We had some friends who had the frog too. Yeah. But they were like, like yeah. high end oh, RC yeah. cars. They were awesome. We had a couple different batteries with a supercharger. So we could pretty much keep going for a couple hours. And they had little RC stores. Yeah. Well, it was out of a hobby store. We right, had just a yeah. Hobby, but yeah, you could yeah. go buy those. That's where we bought them, yeah. out of the hobby store. Yeah. So imagine, I don't know if Hobby Lobby maybe still does that with some RC cars, but this was like in a whole different yeah. level yeah. of selection and cars you could buy. They were so much fun. Yeah. Never so had much fun. One. You're missing out. Yeah. I, still, I still haven't fulfilled one of my bucket list dreams of getting an RC plane. Ooh, I got yeah. that on my bucket list for the long time too. Because be you could order those out of the catalog too like a glider or powered plane, but they were a little cost prohibitive, shall we say? Yeah. Yeah. I did models, you know, I put together models, yeah. but didn't have any moving models like that. Do you yeah. guys like hang them from your ceiling? Yeah. Like we did airplanes and stuff and yeah, fishing airplanes. line and yeah. stuff. My dad actually got me into those because long before I was doing that, he would buy models and just meticulously paint, paint them, them like old warplanes and yeah. stuff or even modern day jets. But he had like a whole big paint selection. Yeah. He just kind of did it as a hobby in a shop. They were so cool. Yeah. Like with the decals and yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was awesome. Love those. Those are fun. All right, guys. Let's say we venture in the dark with a little Billy Squires. Don't say no. Let's go. such a kick butt intro oh man love it yep all right so some of our listeners may not be all that familiar with billy squire he hasn't had quite uh the prominent of a career as someone like maybe tom petty for instance mm -hmm. so before we get into the album i wanted to touch briefly on two significant notes in his career kind of the first leads into the second um in my opinion that video you guys probably know what i'm talking about mm-hmm when he released his 84 album, Signs of Life, he was a megastar at the time. Rock Me Tonight, which was the first single, the biggest hit he ever had. And MTV was relentlessly promoting an imminent world premiere from this. So I found a uh, 2013 New York Post article that talked about this a little bit. Uh, it says, directed by choreographer Kenny Ortega and shot two weeks before its premiere, which I didn't know before I read that. There's only two weeks. Mm -hmm. The video opens with a shirtless squire lolling on a bed of satin sheets, bouncing around a pseudo-industrial loft, pawing his way along the floor and ripping off his shirt, all filtered through a soft pink neon haze. The video is so unironic, it seems as though it must be ironic. <laughs> so Billy Squire is quoted in here saying, my girlfriend said something like, this is going to ruin you. I was a mess. It's like Rock Me Tonight is an MBA course on how a video can go really wrong. 
He said, within days, I was playing to half houses, days of the release of that video. He was playing to half houses. So he went from 15,000 and 20,000 people a night to 10,000 people. Everything I'd worked for my whole life was crumbling and I couldn't stop it. How can a four minute video do that? So what were your thoughts on that video? Do you remember seeing it for the first time too? I don't remember for the first time. I thought it was a little weird. I didn't think it was career killing. I mean, I could look at it now and go, well, that's kind of weird. But I guess at the time there was a lot of weird videos kind of like that. So it wasn't, to me, it wasn't that shocking. No, I think there was some VJ who talked about that too. And she said, I think at the time it didn't seem like it was that impactful one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So I would agree. And I don't, I don't remember seeing it for the first time either, but I remember seeing it a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. It was in heavy rotation. I agree with Brian, a little weird. Um, but that was about the time maybe that flash dance was out. Yeah. Possibly. Uh, it, it just kind of had that kind of, um, art dance sort of feel to it. And it, it is maybe in opposition though, to the type of music he had on don't say no, which was on the heavier side. Yeah. This this was more of a pop tune. And if you're looking for your rock guitar hero, you weren't getting it from this video. Exactly. So, you know, comparing it to, say, you know, ACDC that was big at the time or Def Leppard or something. Yeah, it was, if, if that audience <laughs> was looking at both of them, they'd say, no, I'm going to spend my money on ACDC or Def Leppard yeah. instead of what is maybe a little bit avant-garde strange um there's a lot of ways we could describe it yeah there was and i remember reading too that there was a different idea for the video and somehow that fell through and this was kind of filmed like last minute and he kind of filmed it and then went off i don't know if he's touring or i mean had to get going so wasn't even paying attention to this and really wasn't aware of what it was even after it was released no but before it was released, oh. he, he didn't have the chance to like see it yeah. and, and say like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So he was just too involved in other things that wasn't really paying attention to it. I remember seeing this on Friday Night Videos mm. because I didn't have MTV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and them talking about the world premiere or whatever it was. And I remember thinking, it looks like he's wearing um, the modern, like you said, like, flash dance exercise yeah, yeah. gear in there. Yeah, yeah. That's not very rock and roll. Right? Yeah. It came across as just very like feminine feeling right? and not very like rock and roll masculine. Yeah. I didn't yeah. want to say it, but I'll let you say I'll, it. I'll say it. Cause yeah. that's how I felt at the time. I yeah. don't care if it's necessarily PC or not. That's really what it yeah. kind of boiled down to. And I think a lot of people probably thought the same. Mm-hmm. So this isn't the rock and roll, you know, Billy Squire. It's mm-hmm. very flamboyant and just the dance moves and with satin sheets. And it all took place in like basically one little space yeah. of him just dancing around like that. So I showed this to go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say at the same time, his, his popularity was going down. So, I mean, from, from, uh, don't say no selling 3 million to uh, his next one, emotions, emotions selling 2 million. This one sold 1 million. 
His next one sold 500,000 and then pretty much dropped off. So it was a steady decline. Yeah. So, Even though this was a huge hit. Right. Yeah, it was a huge but hit. But overall, you're saying. Yeah. So he was already on the decline. Yeah. And I think he even agrees that the video, like you said, you know, ruined his career. But it was going down anyway. Mm-hmm. So it maybe sped it up a little bit. But I don't, I don't think. I mean, I know I was a big fan of Billy Squire. I bought his next three, four albums after this, and I really liked them. But I can't think of any of my friends that were listening to Billy Squire yeah. or other than the first album or other than Don't Say No, which I knew a lot of people had. Um, but the other ones, yep. you know, people weren't buying it as much. So I so, do remember thinking of this video too. It's, it's not, um, visually, it's not, I don't want to say this. It's not reflective of the music it's in not. that video at all. It's no. like some, the choreographer had this vision and he didn't study a, anything prior to what Billy Squire did right. or listen, listen to any other music prior <laughs> to that. Probably didn't even know who he was. Maybe not, no. <clears throat> so it was it was a little odd. I'd like to read up on who the video producer was and how the career. Uh, I got information went. on that coming up. Oh, that'll be interesting yeah, to hear. because you, you'll be surprised at what he went out to do and and- I'll get into that too. So I asked my wife to watch this because I had, I wanted to see. I was looking some stuff up last night before we were recording, and I asked her if uh, she had seen that video, and she said no. So I just had her watch it, and her reaction was kind of funny too because she said, "Well, it looks like the person wasn't coached on how to dance, and they didn't have a choreographer." <laughs> and she said, "It also seems like they did it on a low budget and no time spent rehearsing it." And they probably just told them, just do some stuff, roll around, snap your fingers. Yep. I, I told her there was a choreographer, and she said, well, you should be fired. <laughs> so this guy, Kenny Ortega, who directed and, and choreographed this, he went on to serve as choreographer for several films, including Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Dirty Dancing. He also I, I, haven't, I haven't heard of any of those, Dave. <laughs> know, <No>. right. <laughs> he also directed and choreographed the high school musical movies. Oh, man. So you've heard of those. And a host of concert tours and other large-scale events, including a couple different Olympic events. Well, he had to go back and you know prove himself after the disaster. <laughs> As you say, it didn't ruin his career. <laughs> no. <laughs> so. I mean, he worked with Michael Jackson, Kiss. I mean, there are some big names wow. he's worked with. So I don't know where it was in the relation to this. I think that was a pretty early on thing. I think Brian get, brings up a pretty good point, though, that you know the career was already in the decline. Is this just an excuse, Billy Squire's whiny excuse that, you know what, I'm not selling albums, so I'm going to blame it on some choreographer? Take, taking a risk, maybe, and then it didn't go well, so you can yeah. just blame the choreographer? I don't know. Because I agree. I heard all this talk years and years later. Right. You know, so I think it was more, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it holds as much truth as, yeah, as you think. I think you're spot on. If you look at it now, you're like, whoa, that did kill it. But at the time, I don't know. I didn't feel like it was, yeah. I just felt it was a little weird. Yeah. Like the music didn't match the, the visuals. Right. Exactly. But you know what? Next video. There's yep. probably a few more that didn't do that either. Right. Or that did the same thing where it didn't quite jive. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah. There's yeah. lots of artists that did horrible yeah. videos. Well, so. we talked about, like, they're always doing something literal in there. Yeah. You know, like, well, right. they talk about this, so let's do that. Yes. Like, all right, well. Mm-hmm. All right, so kind of part two of that, sampling. Mm, Hip-hop yeah. sampling, to be specific. Did you guys know his songs were sampled at all? Yes, I did. I did not. So 
Oscar-nominated songwriter Adam Schlesinger of Fountains of Wayne said this, Billy Squire had a tendency to start his singles with the drums, quote, in the clear for a few bars. That means like playing alone before the rest of the band comes in, which makes them really easy to sample. So the big beat and the stroke both start this way, mm-hmm. and they were heavily sampled. Um, Bobby Chouinard really played really big, simple, John Bonham-esque beats that weren't great for rock and hip-hop, he said. So it's estimated that Squire has earned like millions of dollars through sampling alone. Right. And so he's like mostly an uncredited second life. You know, he kind of had a mostly uncredited second life as a billboard superstar that nobody really knew about. Yeah. So the stroke been sampled in four different songs. I'm not going to name them all because most of them and probably not even heard of, Um, but some big artists. Also used in four movies, a TV show, and a game, video game. And then the big beat was, that's from his uh, 1980s, his first album, been sampled 12 different songs. So he's getting residuals off of all of these. Oh, good for him. He is he is one of those few artists, especially at the time, who own his songs. He owns the publishing rights to all this. So he's yeah. he's doing just fine. Probably because yep. nobody really wanted to buy him. So not the career music maybe he wanted, but it's not like he went but broke yeah, he's, either. Yep. Can so. I can I add to rest in peace, Adam Schlesinger? He died from COVID nineteen and mm. probably three years ago. And Fountains of Wayne had the great hit Stacy's Mom. It's got it going on. That was a good song. Good song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I didn't mention the producer of this album before. Well, this album was produced, number one, by Billy Squire, but also a guy named Reinhold Mack. Cool name. Right. It is a cool name. You're right. He started as a sound engineer, worked with bands, little-known bands like Deep Purple, ELO. Who? Yeah. Not the who. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Deep Purple, ELO, and Queen, and multiple albums for each of those bands, and then uh, moved on to producing... Did uh, the Stones, David Coverdale, with White Snake, um, Sparks, of course Billy Squire, um, Meatloaf, some Freddie Mercury uh, solo stuff. Reinhold Macto was was a uh, I must have been a super producer uh, prior to working with Billy Squire, so uh, I'm not sure if Reinhold Mack did some of his subsequent albums or not, but it was a great choice for this album and. Uh, I think originally Brian May was going to produce the album. Interesting. And he was not able to do it, and he recommended this guy to him. Makes sense. Because they had just done uh, The Game, because he produced The Game. Great album. Right before this. So Another one bites the dust. Yep. Classic. That's an interesting factoid, Brian. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Tidbit. That's a tidbit. Nugget. (laughs) All right. Let's talk some tracks. Uh, beginning with side one, I'm going to go through the tracks like usual. Name them off. We'll circle around and start talking about them. Uh, side one, In the Dark, The Stroke, My Kind of Lover, You Know What I Like, Two Days Gone. Side two, Lonely is the Night, What Do You Want From Me, Nobody Knows, I Need You, and Don't Say No. We started off as in our transition with In the Dark. How do you guys feel about this one? What a great opener. 
Mm-hmm. Brian always talks about an opener. Yeah. Yes. And Solid as it gets, right? Strong. Yes. I mean, great buildup and great opening riff. Are those keyboards they use at the beginning? Mm-hmm. Synthesizers? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I like it a lot. It's, it's as they say, a banger. That's a banger. That's what the kids are saying now? There's a, that's what the kids are saying. There, there's a lot of keyboards in on this album. Yeah. But it's not cheesy. I mean, it's, to me, it's... Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you think it's cheesy, Dave. There might be a couple of them that are a little overdone, I think, in my okay. opinion. But yeah, for the most part, I agree. It's, it's pretty well done. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is by far my favorite intro. I mean, some the other ones, they have some pretty iconic little riffs, but man, this is big and heavy, and yep. I just love big guitars, heavy with that high note overlay. Yep. I'm not a huge fan of some of the synth sounds, but I mean, it's a solid, solid song. It's got a big wall of sound, and it's just the song. It yeah, it's so well produced. You know the, the wall of sound is probably Reinhold Mack, right? Yeah, I mean, probably. You listen to how Queen albums are really yeah. layered and and true. Record World uh, called it mass appeal, sharp edged rock featuring a blockbuster hook and savage guitar outbursts. Yeah, yeah. I like the savage guitar outbursts. Yeah, that's kind of like pretty accurate. I think there's lots of little guitar fills here and there throughout yeah. throughout the album. Just Yes. yes. It's so fun. Yes. And I love their kind of, you know, loud, quiet, loud yeah. yep. tempo of things. Yep. So is Billy Squire playing lead? I, I read somewhere that there was a, at least a studio lead guitarist, but I didn't. He's credited as rhythm guitar on this with lead guitar with Carrie Sheriff. Yeah. Yeah. But so. there, there's not a ton of info on this Carrie Sheriff out there. And I think one of the things that, that maybe attributed to his lower sales over time was he never had the same band as he was always, yeah. his, he kept his drummer. Um, but it was always other musicians for each album. So you never had the continuity, which maybe led you to, uh, just doing your own thing all the time and maybe losing focus by not having them. Because if you're, if you don't have a band and you're just getting people to fill in session musicians, nobody's really committed to it. They're just showing up and doing their part and leaving. So a lot of it does just lay on Billy Squire to make it work. Yeah. And they each have their own style of play too. Right. Different, different musicians. So it's going to sound a little bit You're different. Sound different. And it maybe yeah. isn't as good as the last person, but it's okay. Or, mm-hmm. And you know, as much as, it, like you said, it's as much as he's going to get out of those musicians. Yeah. Purely speculative on my part, but I've heard some interviews another podcast with Billy Squire and he sounds like he might be a guy, maybe a guy that's a little difficult to get along with. Could be. He has a pretty high opinion of the work he does. Well, he would, and of himself, I think he put together a band before this. What was it called again, Dave pillar? No, God dang it. I've been wrong on this every single time. <laughs> it's not pillar. No, it's, it's I can't remember it. Piper. 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 I got Pillar in my head and it stuck hard. Every time I'd ask Brian again, was it Pillar? No, it's Piper. Okay, I got to remember Piper. Piper, yeah. Two syllables, starts with P. Easy to confuse. So anyway, he put this band together. It was really his band. Uh, They made two albums in one year. They didn't do that great. And his band wanted to get uh, more involved. But this was really his band. And 
So he didn't want them involved, so he broke up the band. And he said, I'm going solo. So Might maybe you're, a little bit. you're hard hard to work with. Yeah. You know. But to, you know, this album, I mean, this is a focused album. And, man, it's a solid album. Um, going back to the Piper thing really quickly, mm-hmm. I did find a review on one of the Piper albums, reviewing the self-titled album by Piper. Circus Magazine touted it as, the greatest debut album ever produced by a U.S. rock band. <laughs> what? Somebody must have been smoking way too much doobie. I yeah, I, I heard that quote, and actually, <laughs> like, not, not I, that there's anything wrong with that. I, <laughs> that's right. I heard it is legal now. <laughs> I heard uh, whoever was interviewing Billy Squire read this quote to him. Yeah, and, and Billy's like, "I like this guy." <laughs> <laughs> What's not to like, right? Uh, good, good one, Billy. <laughs> Contact him to review all my albums from right. now on. Right? Has anybody listened to P- uh, Piper? Piper, I have. Thanks for not making fun of me, right? Uh, I mean, they're just... <laughs> they're okay. They're not bad, but they're not great. But okay. you you could see um, the progression. The there. progression, yeah, building up to um, "Don't Say No." Okay. So, yeah. Village Voice magazine ranked this song as number six on their list of 20 best arena rock songs of all time. Mm, yeah. So I would, I mean, it's up there. Yep. Wow. Arena rock. I mean, this is kind of in the genre, I think, that it starts to be known as arena rock. Village Voice, you say? Village Voice magazine. Don't they just do like folk music and stuff? <laughs> Village? Not sure. And arena <laughs> rock songs, apparently. Who asked uh, you, Village Voice? No, I, I agree. Yeah. That's a good one. All right. Should we move on to uh, number two, The Stroke? The Stroke. <sighs> what a this, massive hit. This was, yeah, this was the first single. Um, the record company wanted to release What Do You Want From Me, I think. Really? Wow. Yeah, they they wanted to do something a little more safe. Oh, okay. And Billy Squires, no, we're going to do The Stroke. And can you, I mean, the stroke just had a huge impact. I mean, it's just those drums, which was, you know, a little playing the drum reverse before he hits the snare. So there's a little, that gives it that kind of crunch before he hits the, hits the drum. I mean, that sound is so iconic and big and huge. And the song is, it's just very unique that if they had released that other song, I don't know if anyone would have noticed Notice the, this album. Notice the album. Uh, yeah, or notice it, Billy yeah. Squire. Yeah, you know, you know, maybe you released a second, and you might be able to build it up again. But you might, you would have lost a lot of ground if you had released something else. And this one just got everyone's attention. Totally, totally set up the the following releases. Yeah, the the second uh, single release was in the dark. Right. So I mean, you're two huge sounding songs too. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to the. You said, what do you want from me was originally the one? I think that was the one, yeah. yeah. That's a little lower on my rankings. Yeah. This was, uh, my brother bought this cassette. This was the first cassette that he bought. So he he wasn't buying stuff. You know, I bought my first one, which was Jay, Jay Giles Band Freeze Frame, which was probably shortly after he bought this album. So I remember sitting in our room listening to this album a lot. So I... I'm very familiar with this album. You're very versed on this one. Yes. Yeah. This was the soundtrack of the summer. Of, yeah. Yeah. And this song, 
the stroke was probably on every hour yeah. on both top 40 and your like album oriented rock stations. Yep. I agree. It's unique. There's not a lot of songs that have the kind of cadence maybe, or just the, the delivery. Mm-hmm. It's ironically probably not my, no, not ironically, but interestingly, not my favorite song in the album. Um, Mainly probably because I felt it was overplayed. I mean, it, yeah. it got to the point where it's like, eh. And maybe he kind of suffered consequently from that. I mean, when an album is so big. Right. And you're not going to be able to replicate it. You can't. The yeah. only the only direction is down. Yep. It's like Boston. Yeah. You know? I mean. <laughs> yeah. Probably not what most people think this song's about, is my guess. Right. It's about the music business. Squire's experiences with labels, executives, and the overall machine that so readily uses and manipulates and exploits artists is what I had noted. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't a fan, is what you're saying. Was not a fan, it which made, is kind of funny that this was the first single that he had to fight for this being the maybe, first maybe, single. Maybe they're like, no, don't do that. <laughs> no, 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 It's no. going to put us in a bad light. Do you think they even knew that it was about that? Probably not. Probably not. When did he actually come out and say that? And then the album sales started to decline. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This was named 59th best hard rock song of all time by VH1. Mm. Pretty high praise. So they, yeah, they, they put together just three kind of live performance videos for at this time. And this is when MTV was just about to come out in a few months. They wanted content. So they asked him to put some videos together and he, I think they probably just in one day went and filmed these kind of live looking videos and they did three of them and uh, they were in heavy rotation on MTV in the early days. That still holds up. I watched this one a day or two ago. Yeah. It holds up really well. Right. Right. There is a bit in there. I'm really confused and I don't know. I think it maybe asked you about this, Brian. Yeah. There was, did you watch it again I after did. I said I that? I did. So and I, did, video, I didn't remember this. Yeah. He's playing like a harmonica for just a little guitar, seemingly like a little guitar like part. Yeah. Cause he doesn't have a guitar on. He's not playing in the video. He's just dancing around and, and dancing and around already. Not like that. <laughs> not, okay. like that. not like, no. Yeah. Not like that video. He's um, got jeans and a t-shirt on probably. Yeah. He's got yeah. kind of like his traditional little white tank yeah. top thing. Yeah. Not like the video. Um, but the, the harmonica thing confused me. Yeah. I did, I did not it was get just like that. a little inside joke or something. It must've been. Cause it's not a harmonica part. And then I saw at one point he put the harmonica down. Yeah. And and then that part was still playing. So, yeah, I don't know. it must have been a joke. I don't know. All right. All right, let's move on to My Kind of Lover. Which is the third single. I think it's a really good radio song. Mm-hmm. It's more top 40 than the other two. Um, probably a little, interestingly, maybe more mass appeal, although it was not the biggest hit on the album, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. And you look at the other ones that kind of maybe were surprise hits. Yeah. I don't know. I think they were. Yeah. But I, I, I thought this really, yeah, like I said, should have had a little more mass appeal. Um, and it was, it was a top 40 hit for sure. This oh. might've been the, the first Billy square song I heard on the radio. Mm. This is like the most familiar to me, I think. This um, I love the little synth bass line during the verses. I I do too. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and for the longest time I was like, is that a bass guitar or is that the synth? But yeah, yeah I think yeah, it's a synth. I think it's a synth too. Yeah, but yeah, that just 
that kind of carries that through. I like it. I, d- I did get a little weary, we'll say, of him repeating the chorus an awful lot. So I counted him up. You want to guess how many times he repeats the title? My Kind of Lover? Yeah. How many times? Guess. Uh, 120. No. He's not that long. Come on, you told me to guess. <laughs> I'm guessing 45. It's only 28 guys. That's oh, only 20. That's that not long. even not that many. Bad. Come on, Come on. Why did you even bother counting? It's a lot. Okay. Because it's a lot. There's not a lot of lyrics in this song. It was just, uh, just a little fun fact. Well, okay. <laughs> now that you've opened up the lyrics door. I have. It that, is wide open, my man. Yeah, that I really kind of think lyrically his stuff is a little weak. I mean, it's pretty formulaic and it's it's not deep, not deep at all. And it, you know, it's fine. It's it is what it is. ACDC is not deep either. No, <laughs> is that what He's you were conf- looking for when you were listening to music at the time? I want something a little deeper. Yeah. You know, Billy yeah. Squire is just and he's just not hitting me right now. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, I was wearing my smoking jacket and had my pipe and <laughs> yeah, right, reading Shakespeare and your lava hand. lamp going. <laughs> yeah, and incense. Yeah, but you, beat, I, you beat it, me to it. It's not super, you know, creative. Any of his lyrics, I didn't. I don't think. And that's one thing I noted here as a overarching theme of the album. But he's kind of consistent that way, I think. Yeah. Oh, totally. I, yeah. I, I observed that too, just looking, uh, you know, going through each song and, and uh, you know, you can pull up the lyrics on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Like eh, there's nothing super deep or, you know, and transformative if, here, but he's pretty consistent yeah. that way. And you think of probably most of the music that you listen to. Yeah. Probably the same way. Yeah. I mean, you got certain artists that, yeah, they're going to be, you know, preaching to you and saying lots of stuff, but uh, probably not that different than many other artists. No. There's some that, you know, will tell a story. You know, oh, I, yeah. I, th- I think of uh, Bruce Springsteen, for instance. You know, some of his stuff has a chorus, but mostly it's just right. storytelling. Yep. Um, but then again, Bruce Springsteen doesn't have a ton of top 40 stuff. He's right. just more of a cult following yeah that has a and he massive could be appeal. an acquired taste to a lot of people too for sure yeah yeah so, but he's one of those guys like a bob dylan just produces a ton of music right he's yeah. always writing i yep. think we were i remember watching some documentary on him when he's recording even he's got a notebook and he's constantly yeah constantly writing new new stuff and you say bob dylan i mean same yeah. same thing right it's all stories yeah yep. and a ton of them yep just yeah Okay, now, like in our intro, Dave tells us we're going to go down some B-side tracks Yes. Here. Can we talk about the B-side to this one? Does anybody know? I don't know. No. I didn't note this one, actually. What is it? Christmas R- is the time to say I love you. Oh, I love that song. Right. So I this, didn't realize that was the B-side to this, though. This was, this was their third and final single released, okay. so it would have been in the fall. Oh, yeah. Getting closer to Christmas, and he wrote this song just for this single to get it out before Christmas and threw it on there. Well, that's fun. And it was also, uh, they had a a video for it, which was in the MTV studio with all the production people from MTV and all the VJs, and they're all walking around and dancing and doing the song. And this was, you know, the first Christmas on MTV. So it was a big song. And, uh, is that where the recording's from, that live, that live performance, or no? I don't think it's so. A, it's a live performance recording, correct? No, I it's don't not. think so. I okay. don't think so, no. Such a happy Santa on there, too. Yeah, right. Well, he's got a girl on his lap, so. <laughs> not, all right. But anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. But anyway, I, 
one one of my favorite rock and roll Christmas songs. I, yeah. I love this song. That's on my playlist it every, totally every is. Christmas yep. season. And I hear it on the radio quite often, You hear often it on too. the radio, yep. It's yeah. it's a song that has uh, stood the test of time. Is that just a genius marketing move by those who write a really catchy Christmas tune? Every band at their peak should write a Christmas song or at least have something released that is Christmas-related because that will come back every year. Even if that, you're Neil Diamond. Even if you're Neil Diamond. It's the yep. gift that keeps on giving. It does. Yep. It's like I don't watch many movies more than once, but I watch Christmas movies every year, the same ones over and over. Brilliant. For sure. This is yeah. true. Brilliant. And when you get your kids to do that or listen to those, right? Yep. They're going to associate that with the good time and that holiday season and repeat. Yep, exactly. I have one that I probably watch weekly, if not every other day. A movie? Christmas Story. Oh, Ralphie. Yeah. Wow, oh, man. Yep. I think I know every line in there. Love it. Yeah, one of the best. Yep. All right, guys, let's move on to You Know What I Like. Big beat intro. Yes. Huge. And I love the fast pace of this song. Right. Yeah. I like that. This drummer, I really like this drummer. And he's kind of a no-name drummer. Yeah, I never heard but of him. But he's just, he just pounds the the drums. It's just, Bobby Chenard. It just feels like that whole room is shaking when he's playing. I know he's been compared to Bonham a bit. Yes. Thunderous drums. Yeah. And even one of their songs we'll get to is kind of compared and to some Zeppelin. Very simple drum kit. I mean, it's just a basic drum kit. And he's, man, he's a powerful drummer. Each video that I've seen, he is um, sh- doing some show off, little antics of twirling, mm-hmm. the, twirling the drumsticks almost every other hit. And yeah. Yeah. Well, not like Zoltan Cheney. No, not, no, like not that, that good. Yeah. <laughs> who's that's that the bar? That's the bar. Right. Who, who is that? Zoltan Cheney. Who's he with? We saw him Slaughter. with... Uh, but yeah, we saw him he's with a, Vince Neil. He's well, super entertaining. Oh, yeah. He's just crazy antics. Doesn't yeah. Ricky, Ricky Rocket do that too with... Uh, Probably a little poison. bit. Poison. Never, never stop Poison. But Lance, not so. Yes, you have, Dave. I know, <laughs> I was just kidding. Once. <laughs> not a huge Poison fan. That was the last time, huh? Yeah. Once and never again. Uh, so in this song, I, I heard something weird at the end of the guitar solo, and maybe you guys have heard this too. It sounds like the little snippet at the end of the solo is played backwards. I think the whole solo is played backwards. And that's what I was wondering. Yeah, there's lots of, yeah. It just, it was more apparent there. Uh, right. But yep. yeah. Yep. I can I could kind of hear it and I'm like, well, maybe that not that part's not, but the the end of it, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. I that's think the whole solo is. so hard to do. Come on, Dave. We did it in I one know, of our but boxcar I mean, songs. It took me a you while. You did it. It I know. took me a while to figure that out. For a non-professional to figure out, I think a professional can figure All out right. what to do. It sounds awesome, though. It does sound really cool. And I really only noticed that it was even being played backwards towards the end. I, I had never noticed it until we started really researching this album and listened to it a lot. And I was like, whoa, that's You're a listening backwards harder. Yeah. yeah. And I've listened to this album for 35 years or whatever. <laughs> 40 years. 40 years. It's, yeah. This was a, so it's called, you know what I like? I would say this is one I don't like. I thought it was kind of a repetitive sounding track. It just. It's a little bit. Didn't do much for me. Um, I got a middle of the road rating on this one. Yeah. Same here. I don't, I don't even have much to add. It just wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't a standout for me. Well, let's move on to two days gone then and see if that does it for you. It did. I do like this song. This one's really full sounding. Yeah. yeah. It, it reminded me a bit of um, some earlier Cinderella sort of stuff. Mm. It had that kind of bluesy beat 
and uh, I liked it a lot. There's there's another one on here too that I felt kind of sounded a little like Cinderella too. Really? Okay. Huh. Yeah. This this one I thought it's just it's a very catchy song and it could have been a single. I think this one could have been released as a single. Isn't that the one done. that? Did you say the record company? No, no, not that one. Okay. Said, what no. do you want from me? I think was oh yeah maybe the one. This one yeah, actually, and that's okay. We'll get to that, but that yeah. felt the that's same the other to one. Me. Yeah, this had kind of a country vibe almost for me. Yeah, if you can hear that in there, you take away the distorted guitar, mm-hmm. especially. Yeah, just to kind of head, I could yeah. kind of beat it had, it had a lot of piano fills too. Yeah, just those keys in there, and. Just the soft touch on guitar, I think, it mm-hmm. just kind of had a little more country vibe for me. Yeah, and when Lance it kicked into it his head right to now. just yeah, the little guitar part, the yeah, yeah. But I mean, even just like the beat, the dun, yeah, dun, 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 yeah. You know? We might convince Billy Squire to remake this into a country album. Yeah, yet, he, huh? yeah, probably good. I heard him do a little bit of this uh, solo somewhere recently. Oh, it was just a distorted guitar. Okay. It, it lacks a little bit. Yeah. He <laughs> needs some, some beat going on with it. Let's say we flip it over to side two here. Ooh, yes. man. Let's go. Now Lo- we're talking. Lonely is the night. Mm-hmm. My favorite song on the album. I give it a solid 10, this song. Yeah. it It's why I still like the album. There, there are other moments that I don't think are super strong, but this song stands up the test of time. It's a classic. It just makes the album worth owning. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. And this was not a single. Nope. But but it appeared on the B side of a UK pressing for In the Dark. Mm. On the, the flip side of that okay. one. Okay. So So yeah. Uh and this one, I mean, you hear this song on the radio as much as the other ones. And I can see why. Yeah. I, I mean it it um it feels like a more organic. It's not an overly produced track. The guitars, they're just really cool. The that drum, you know, in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, it's a very powerful track, and I'm given. I, I mean, I'm kind of gushing over it. Yeah, but I, I understand with why. reason. Yeah. Um, I was going to say too. It, it did chart at number twenty eight on the Billboard. Yeah. And it wasn't a single. And it was never released. Yeah. That's how big it was. I don't know how they didn't think like this was gonna, not going to do well. Right. I, Executives. I think, yeah. I think this is probably played equally as much as some oh, yeah. of the others. Yeah. I would say maybe I'm, even more. I think you're right, Brian. I, yeah. Probably more. And this is the one that is compared to Led Zeppelin. Yes. I, do you buy that? I, if, if I'm forcing myself to, but I have never thought that. Until I was kind of reading up and everyone comparing it to that, and I listened to it, yeah, maybe a little bit, kind of. So, but the, I, had, I had never on my own thought like, oh, this is kind of a Zeppelin ripoff. Yes, I thought actually before I, I read that parts of the drums, I thought, whoa, that sounds a little, you know, Bonham esque. Yeah, but it wasn't like this whole song, right? So people compare it to Nobody's Fault but Mine off the album Presence from Led Zeppelin in '76. Is that because there, of more of the breaks in the song? There is a couple. There's a break in there, like 136, that is just like to a T, whatever he does okay. in there. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not seeing but, that. Well, nobody's fault by mine. Is Led Zeppelin did. Yeah, really? For yeah. Them. And their uh, biography, win? their biography, Hammer the Gods, the song is mentioned somewhat tongue in cheek as one of the best singles Zeppelin ever put out. So they thought <laughs> it sounded a lot like, if you listen to Nobody's Fault But Mine, 
um, the intro and a little ways into the song, there's a lot of similarities. I wouldn't say he necessarily ripped it off. Yeah. But there's some similarities there. Mm. And obviously they didn't find enough similarities to like sue him or anything. But well, I mean, some- Led Zeppelin was copying all the blues yeah. artists prior to it. Yeah. So like for them to even yeah. consider something like that, it's like, mm. didn't yeah. I hear somewhere that they the intro to Stairway to Heaven was possibly ripped off too? Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. And if you heard the other version, you're like, holy crap. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because it's really close. And I think they won that lawsuit, but man, they maybe should have lost. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's uh, move on here to what do you want from me? Does anybody else get a little Montrose bad motor scooter vibe off of this? Oh, I never thought about that. You never thought, man, I thought mm. you would have been the one to think about that one. That's what I thought about. It's not as you know, close as... It's probably because of the slide guitar. It is totally because yeah. of the slide guitar. And, that and makes I think sense. How it kind of builds into the beat a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I can see that. But now. it's not that strong of a yeah. vibe. But it kind of gave me that vibe when I heard it. Yeah. It's a, um, again, very bluesy, I think, mm-hmm. sort of song. Because of the slide, I and think. And the slide, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And this is another one that I said, Man, this kind of sounds like Cinderella a little bit to oh, me. Yeah. Uh, I, it's a, another solid song, probably top three for me on this album. Another kind of drum intro song, like you were talking about how they kind of Big do drum. that. Yeah. I also like the nice harmonizing guitar solo on this one. I thought it's, that was pretty it's sweet. Clean, it's a clean solo. Yeah. Yeah. I They're agree. not, and nothing super flashy on here. Right. No one's doing an eighties rip. Nope. Rip is playing, playing as fast as you possibly can. They're all just, just a, lots of little tasty I, licks here and yeah, there. I yes. agree. And that's, I think why I like it. Cause it's just a little more traditional straight ahead rock, rock and roll. Yeah. 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 It's good stuff. Blues based rock. Yes. All right, uh, let's move on here to Nobody Knows. Well, wait a minute. Oh, wait. Can we just stop the album right there? Sure. Yeah, let's do that. that, that to That's me is a wrap, guys. <laughs> okay, now let's talk about the last three tracks. Okay. Nobody Knows. Tell us how you really feel. Yeah. Right? Anybody else least favorite song on the album? It's an unbelievably terrible song. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. Uh, honestly, it's it's got this kind of '70s cheesy, um, slow groove. But you know, we we're talking about Zeppelin. You know, the vocal is—is is he trying to emulate Robert Plant? Maybe I—I I don't know. I just—I heard this and I had questions like that too. Why is he using the falsetto? The very high falsetto. Yeah. Don't need it at all. It's annoying. Yeah. It's, it. Yeah. It's like the biggest throwaway song I have ever heard on an album almost. And I, I think <laughs> it's, was a tribute to John Lennon. I, I could think of a better throwaway song coming up, <laughs> coming up. in a future. It episode. was dedicated so to John here Lennon. We go. Yeah. yeah. And the story behind that was, um, he, you know, in New York, you know, people run into people. So he run into John Lennon occasionally walking down the street. And one night they were talking and, they made their way to John Lennon's house and were talking outside the house. And then they were done talking and he walked inside the house and uh, Billy Squire said, you know, nobody knows what goes on inside that house once he goes in. And that was kind of, so the song wasn't about John Lennon or anything, Yeah. but that, that phrase, when he thought that that's, that's how, where that came from. Inspiration. It's nice. Story. And then, <laughs> and, but then, he was finished recording the song 
And then he was told that John Lennon just got shot and killed. And that was why he dedicated the song to him. Oh, okay. So he had inspiration for at least the title and maybe the, the, title, the idea yeah. for the it. The song isn't necessarily about John Lennon. Yeah. Okay. But, so it's uh, just dedicated. And then, like I say, he just finished recording it and then you heard that John Lennon had been killed. Wow. So that's where that came from. All right. Well, let's move on to the next uh, least favorite. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I need you. This is the one that the record company wanted. Oh, it was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I I do not like the melody on this one. I don't either. Or the bass, synth, and the chorus. It's like not good I, in my mind. I wrote down this is a boring song that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a really bad Nelson song from the eighties. Wow. High praise. The, the, <laughs> I mean, the the harmony and stuff. That's why it reminded me a little of Nelson. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. And it's yeah, it just didn't go anywhere. I could never get into this tune. Um, and now you see why. Can we just stop after yeah, that? Yeah, <laughs> I, I get that now. Well, they are at the end of the album. Yep. Yeah. There's probably a reason, right? So you don't, yeah. It, it kind of reminded me a little bit um, when I was kind of analyzing where these hits were of our previous episode doing Huey Lewis, where it's like, hit, hit, hit. Okay. And then a hit, and then we get to the end of the album, and it was like lesser popular tracks that maybe weren't as mm -hmm. appreciated. Yeah. This is a little more extreme that way. Including the Hank Williams remake. Yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah. That's the one I kind of... And, you know, the, you know, you flip the record over, and you're starting with Lonely as the Night, and yeah. it's all good, and you got a couple good songs there in a row, and then... Yep. And then tanked. So they kind of did what they wanted to do. Yep. And then we'll throw... And uh, I remember Billy Squire saying that he... He didn't. He didn't have extra songs. I mean, he wrote whatever oh. songs, and they recorded. It that was, actually it, went through my mind. Like, I wonder what they threw away. I wonder what yeah. they left on the they cutting didn't. floor. <laughs> and that they explains well, a lot. That explains a lot. So then. you know, yeah. if this is what you got. Yep, he's gonna put it out there. We got to make an album. Yeah, not nine songs, ten. What was the album you're talking about recently, Lance? That didn't have enough songs on it. This one. <laughs> no, um, no. Oh, did. Anyway, anyway yeah. my point is, if you cut those three songs off, you got seven songs. Right. Would you be saying the same thing? Oh, there's not enough songs. Yeah, possibly. And then you say, okay, well, I can throw these songs on. Then what do you say? Then you say, well. Why did you put these three songs on there? Yeah. <laughs> it's a quandary. It's a conundrum. Porn. Yes, it's a catch-22. I you, said quandary, conundrum, catch-22. We're all correct. Yes. Wow. Yes. How's that for a tidbit? Nugget. <laughs> We're just a. Oh, well, what was your phrase, Lance? You don't come on, Factoid. man. Factoid. Factoid. <laughs> we're, we're just a group thesaurus here. Tonight. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. All right. Let's uh, finish this off with the last song. Don't say no. I will say no. You how will say you, no to this how one. Do you, this song starts with a fade in. In the yeah. it's seemingly in the middle of the song. Exactly. That's what yeah. I said. Why are they starting with the chorus? That's and what now, I've written down here. And now I need you does slightly fade into this kind yes. of goes, but in my mind I'm I'm thinking like they had a recording of it and something messed up in the beginning and they couldn't go back and record. <laughs> yep. They didn't have time. So we'll just we'll just fade in from this point. <laughs> and then it yes. then it, it like switches tempos. Towards the end, it's like they're starting another version of the song, and then they yeah, and then it fades out, and then it kicks like two back thirds in. of yeah. the way, yeah. 
Yeah. It sounds like the song's over. And I wonder how many people that caught off guard oh, too. Like, totally. Yeah. Oh, the song's over. The boom. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's the title say, track. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really? I wrote down, it's like they couldn't figure out which version of the song they wanted to put on the album. So we'll just kind of, it's not done. We realize it does, that. But, it sounds incomplete. Yes. But yeah. I, to me, I think it could have been kind of a cool song, but they just never went there. I don't know. I've got uh, one line that I really like from the song, though, where yeah. he says, I come from the borderline, you come from the void. I thought that was a cool line. That is cool. It is, is cool. Is that I'm deep? Trying to, trying to, yeah, that's the deep one. I you're need looking, to get my pipe out and smoking uh, there jacket you go. and figure out what he means. <laughs> it's a disappointing ending to a great album, these three songs for me. That's why I said, you know, if, if we, well, I guess we're talking ratings now, but we'll do that in a little bit. Yep. From the Don't Say No 30th Anniversary Edition liner notes by Ben Edmonds. To achieve the kind of breakthrough that Billy Squire enjoyed with Don't Say No requires a convergence of elements simultaneously arriving at excellence, a complex series of tumblers all falling the right way at just the right time. Determination, inspiration, maturation, and momentum play a part, as does a pinch of luck. Phil Spector always made the crucial distinction between ideas and records. Don't Say No was the fourth album Billy had released, but it was his first record. Mm. Fourth, he had released because he had two fourth, with Piper. Fourth album or gotcha. pillar, whatever yeah. you want to call him, and then uh, so yeah, basically the saying, tape, and this is his fourth release. Yeah, so. basically, he was saying he finally came into his own. This is like the first mm-hmm. solid album. Well, very similar to what we were saying about Huey Lewis, and that was his third. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but back when record companies would kind of give you a little time, right? Yeah, yeah. to to find your sweet spot. Yep. Any final thoughts? I do have a final thought. Um, Lance, did you buy this album? I did buy it. At the time. I did. At the time. Absolutely. It was huge. Yeah. As we were saying, you know, it comes out in April and it's half a million copies. Yeah. Three, four months later, it was all over the radio. It was the soundtrack of the summer and I certainly did buy it. So I did not. I bought this years later. But like I said, my brother had the cassette, so I was listening to it a lot. When Emotions in Motion came out and Everybody Wants You, I bought that album right away. And that I really enjoyed that album too. It was really based off of your love for this one, right? True. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I've, I remember telling my brother, he's like, oh, I got Emotions in Motion. He's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I bought that too, right when yeah. it came out. Yeah. All right. Now is the time. And Dave did not own the album. We know that. That's a, that's a given. <laughs> I established that on our last episode. Until I tell you otherwise. Yes. That's the assumption that I, I bought it. I bought it as a CD. So that oh, tells did. you uh, I wasn't buying it at the time because yeah. CDs mm-hmm. weren't available at the time. It's time to give our personal rating of this album from zero to 10. Where do you guys stand on this one? Let's start with Lance since he ended the previous episode. Okay. Can I just rate the first eight songs? No, no, that is not the rating system we have established. Yeah, well, over you, over hours and hours of meetings we've have had about ratings. Would you drop the needle again? Yeah. <laughs> yes, no, I I would drop the needle again, but I skip a few tracks as we were saying earlier. Uh, just for fun of it, the first eight songs, I'm at close to an eight. Oh, seven and a half you can round up. But then the last three tracks, if I have to rate the whole album, 
I'm down to like 6.25. It, they're so bad, those tracks. It just drags the whole album down for me. But I'm, I'm going to say split the difference there, and uh, I'll give it a 7. Because you can do decimals. You can do half. Nah, that's fine. Okay. I, I, I will give it a 7 because there are some really strong tracks that stand the test of the time. But, man, I, I don't know what happened at the end of the album. It's just like <laughs> we we got it. Like we were saying before, we've got to put some songs on here and make an album. Yep. And it, it drags it down. But overall, I still enjoy it, and I still will listen to it. Awesome. Brian? I'm giving it an 8. I already had you down for an 8. I predicted that. Yeah. Um very sentimental about this album just because I remember listening to it with my brother a lot in our bedroom. Um, been listening to it for 40 years. Um, I agree. I'm not as strong as Lance's on the last songs. I agree they are definitely weaker. I don't dislike them as much as you do. But because of those, it does bring me down to an eight. Yeah. It'd be a classic with without those. Yeah. You know, if there were... If it were just maybe one more through Christmas one. is the time to say I love you on the end. Oh, totally. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. I took Lance's um, system Ooh. from our last episode and I ranked each of the songs to help kind of establish, you know, a better uh, average. Sounds like a lot of work to me. I, I don't think oh, I could ever do so that. so helpful. The math is really difficult. <laughs> so I have for a calculator a watch. Yeah, right. <laughs> Good for you. That way you can do it wherever you are. I know, right? It's an Apple Watch, but no, I didn't do it on that. I did it on the computer. But anyway, um, it's a seven for me too. Yeah. Right. You know, it's good, but I'm I'm kind of with you guys on there are just some weaker songs and, and a couple of them are just like, ah, I, I, I don't care if I ever listen to this one again. Mm-hmm. It's that much of a throwaway for me. Same. But then the extreme of the other way too, like I, I have these in a playlist way, you know, for right. years now Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that I listen to quite consistently. So- that's a wrap on ratings, I guess. Okay, it's time for the fan favorite Remember When segment, gentlemen. Mm. It's just the podcast participants' favorite, too. Yes. Love this. Dave, great idea. Segment where I ask Brian and Lance their thoughts about something we grew up with but may no longer be around today. Today's item is our first versus version. So something mm. versus something. You ready? Godzilla and King Kong. Um, Kramer versus Kramer. Oh. <laughs> I saw that in the theater. Oh, ouch. Too, with yeah. my sister. I never saw that movie. Yeah. You guys. Uh, I was way too young to even get what was going on, probably. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. I knew what it was about, I think. Weird. Maybe. And I was like, no, I'm yeah. not interested. Don't know why. I mean, there was maybe three or four people in the theater. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this may movie, have been man. way after the time yeah, it was yeah, released. Yeah. But okay. either way, when the dollar movies were. Today's item. Oh, there's something else? Yeah, that's right. Okay. We still haven't announced it. I still haven't announced it. Blow Pops versus Tootsie Roll Pops. Mm. So one has a gum center made by Charms. Yeah. And the other has a Tootsie Roll center. Now, I I would say the Tootsie Pop was out first. Yes. So probably familiar with that. And then when the- It was out way longer. The Blow Pop? Blow Pops. That was like, Wow. Yeah. yeah, that, that kind of brought that, it up a notch. I think. I think it originated, what they say, around like the late seventies, but it like kind of gained popularity. Mm-hmm. Seventy nine, eighty, somewhere around there. The blow pop. 
I'm going blow pop. Lance? Lance is you old. You familiar with both of them? I am totally familiar with both of them. Lance, even right now, has some hard candy in his pocket that yeah. he's going to pull old. out with his cellophane. <laughs> Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> Not a Werther's? <laughs> Werther's. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Grandma, for the Werther's. <laughs> oh, this delicious. The watermelon Jolly Ranchers were awesome. <laughs> they were. Really tangy. Yes. Uh, My jaw is hurting right now just yeah, thinking of this. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that kind of, I I think the uh, blow pop gum was a little tangy too, wasn't it? No. No, no. it was just There's nothing. Big sugary. Super sugary. Of, yep. Like I, bubble yum. I, I'm going with the uh, Tootsie Roll because chewing on a piece of gum with shards of a <laughs> there was that. It was kind of weird. It I kind of like that, but you're not biting into it right away. You do wait till you get to the gum. Yeah. Well, well, you for did. some of those who you could, did. Okay. How many licks does it take to the, get to the Tootsie Roll yeah. center of a Tootsie Pop? A one, a two, uh, <laughs> a three, a three. Or how many bites? Yeah. Uh, so you're going with Tootsie Roll. I'm going with Tootsie Roll. And uh, do you remember the Tootsie Roll wrappers with the... Indian chief. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they were able to take it in and get a free one, but didn't really work. That was oh, some it. weird yeah. Yeah. thing that somebody started. Yeah. It never existed because I looked that up like oh, on funny. the Tootsie Roll you website. Yeah. yeah. It appears on actually one in every four to six Tootsie Pop wrappers. But it's just as frequent as all the other images. But yeah. people thought that was some kind of special. That was the thing. winner. Yeah. yeah. So they would take those in, I think, and try to redeem it for. Mm-hmm. An extra Tootsie Roll pop, and none of the stores knew what they were talking about. So it was a great marketing tactic by yeah. somebody. Somebody thought of it. The Tootsie Roll marketing division. Yeah. Let's make up this crazy story, and then more people will buy our mediocre. Yeah, I'm suckers. I'm more of a blow pop guy, just because the Tootsie Rolls. I just got so burned out on Tootsie Rolls. I think from different Halloweens yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But also, I had a good story about in eighth grade, when those kind of became a little more popular in our area, um, my mom bought like the big, huge bag gallon thing from like a, like it's like a plastic jar type of thing from Costco. Yeah. And we had those at home. So I would take a few extra and I would sell them at school. (laughs) (laughs) I was selling them for up to a dollar each. Whoa. Yeah, so I had quarters coming out of my pockets for whatever other snacks. Video games? I go, oh, heck yeah. <laughs> go down the arcade later. Yeah. If I could nice. bike there. Yeah, so I was making some bank off of those. Entrepreneur little, is yeah, the right? word. As long as the opportunity presented itself. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a very big window that that would that was going on, but yeah. for a little while I was selling them to uh, classmates. When they, till they started going to Costco themselves. Yeah. Well, in, so in that eighth grade year, we were actually locked in our lunchroom. So it was pretty much like, oh. here's all the group you're with. We had to sit at a certain table. So basically like my table and the table behind us or to the side. And that was about all the people we could get in contact with. Cause we couldn't. So what around. are we going to do now guys? Yeah. And Dave's like, I don't know guys, I got some blow pops. What? <laughs> I got quarters. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make a deal. That's right. Favorite flavor of your uh, Tootsie pop there, Lance? Whatever one uh, blended well with the chocolatey center, um, and I, I can't remember what it is, but you there was when when you get down and you know yeah. took that bite, there was a complimentary flavor, and I'd have to go back and experiment. So there was a chocolate there. one. 
Yeah. It was nasty. Chocolate and chocolate. No, I, no, I want to say like grape. Maybe. Mine was grape. Yeah. My favorite. Yeah. Grape or cherry. Cherry. Yeah. Cherry is good too. Yeah. Cherry and chocolate is good together. Just a great big wad of sugar. That'll do it for today. In our next episode, we'll be diving into the 1983 police album, Synchronicity. Cool. Hey, big surprise for you guys. I never owned that album either. Ooh. <laughs> if you missed our previous episode, we talked about sports. Yes. The album by Huey Lewis and the News. Great conversation. Great album. Great tracks. So, if you haven't listened to it yet, go back and check it out. So we want to say thanks to the many family members and, and a few friends <laughs> that have pushed us over the, get this, 1,000 listens. Woo! On, nice. So thank you to those that are listening. We, we do sincerely appreciate it. Yes, hope we do. Hope you're enjoying it. Uh, so keep telling a few others about when records ruled so we can maybe push it to the next 1,000 mark and three and five, and then we'll get to a million Wow. Or something like that. Someday. The golden <laughs> ticket. We may no longer be around. It'll just live in the archives somewhere. National archives. Out there yeah. in the cloud somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think in it lives cloud. in outer space. <laughs> and as always, if you can find our phone number, give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know what artist or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode. There's a chance we might take you up on that suggestion. Ooh. Little chance anyway. We appreciate if you would leave us a review of the show or any other shows that you've listened to along the way on your favorite podcast listening app. The more stars you give us, the better, right, Dave? Five. Five stars. There's only one option, and it's five. Click the five. It would be very rock and roll of you to do. Rock and roll! Give can us you, the good, the bad, the ugly. Can you put it in the comments? You know, I'd give you more than five if I could. Go for it. Wow. Please Cause, do. Because people do read those, yeah. you know, at, at the podcast That's companies. And, yes, yeah. they do. You can also follow us and leave us comments on Instagram and Facebook at When Records Ruled, where you can see all sorts of cool pictures and little factoids about the album, possibly. Possibly. Golden um, Nuggets. We'll see. Yeah. Check out our Spotify playlist where you can find all the albums that we've discussed and reviewed. Listen to those songs. And remember, we're not professional music critics. We're just three guys who like talking music. Yes. That's right. Please remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye.